two back on the sports complex here on the horn. Going to get into a little more Longhorns in a little bit. We'll get into Texans and Cowboys. Got some sound from D'Amico Ryans. We got some sound from Jeff Banks, some sound from Sark, some sound from Ian Rodby. And then we'll get into some ideas of what to do tonight at last. Call coming up in a little bit. Specs text line is open. 512-337-3776 is how you join us. Uh, we do have some top uh, top five lists here on the text line. Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, Terrell Owens on that. Torrey Holt's on your list. I don't know if Torrey Holt's on there. I, I always have a – because I'm, I'm one of the biggest Marshall Falk supporters. Like, I think Marco, Marshall Falk gets overlooked a lot of just how important he was on those Rams teams. Yet, I will never give respect to Kurt Warner or Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. And I don't know why that is, why I just have a hang-up in my head that I'm like, Marshall Falk did everything on that team. And and it wasn't the rest of those guys. The greatest show on turf was I, – I think it was because – at the time, I just wasn't a Rams fan, and then it was that weird period where the Titans had just left Houston, so I, I hated Bud Adams and the Titans, but I liked the players, and I liked McNair and Eddie George and all those guys, and uh, so I, I just didn't – there was something about it that I wasn't a huge fan of <laughs> in that uh, – for that uh, for those Rams teams, but uh, – I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if he's on my top five, but I, you know what? That's better than Michael Crabtree. Everyone better than Michael Crabtree. I will. I will give you that. Uh, Jerry Rice, Fred Bolitnikoff, Randy Moss, Julian Edelman, Chris Carter. I, I can't put. Come on, we can't put Julian Edelman near a top five list. I get he was good. I get he was good, but we can't put him on that list. We're not putting slot receivers that can't do anything. Like the fact that Randy. Like I, I just. You have two Patriots because Randy Moss played for the Patriots. So as a as a Texans fan, I just have to extend that list. I, anytime you have that many t- Patriots, I have to get out. Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, Randy Moss, Andre Johnson, and Calvin Johnson. And as a Texans fan, I, I appreciate you put Andre Johnson in there. I think DeAndre Hopkins is a better receiver than Andre Johnson was just because he was one of those guys that has an innate ability. I don't know if Andre Johnson was ever the top receiver in the league, and I think DeAndre Hopkins was for like two years. Uh, but I... I don't know if Andre Johnson, and maybe that's just recency bias that DeAndre Hopkins is playing now because Andre Johnson was a beast. And if Andre Johnson had a good wide receiver, then who knows? Who knows what he could have done with a good wide receiver? Or a good quarterback, sorry. If he had a good quarterback, he, who knows what he could have done? But as, but with what he had, playing a lot of years with Carr, I don't, DeAndre Hopkins, what he was able to do with crap quarterbacks on the Texans, he he goes ahead of of Andre Johnson on my list of top quarterbacks in, in our top wide receivers in uh in NFL history. Uh and uh yes, yes, Amen Edelman's system is a system dude. I, I agree. I can't I can't put Edelman on a top five list. But at Torrey Holt, if we're going system dudes, Torrey Holt falls into that system. A lot of really good players fall into a good system, and that's what makes them work. But I, I can't go with with Edelman. Uh let's talk a little bit of uh Longhorns. Uh, we get into it. The coaches poll, the preseason coaches poll came out today. Uh, Texas does come in at number 12. Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible place on the list. You're, you're in a place where you can attack. Uh, we'll see what the AP poll puts us at. But the Texas, the coaches poll, I get it. It's, the expectation is not too high. I'm okay with uh, being in number 12. I don't get Washington being at 11. I don't like that the Big 12 comes in as the fifth conference on the list. Georgia is number one. Michigan's number two. Bama's number three. Ohio State, four. LSU jumping in at number five. Brian Kelly has done a lot to turn that program around. Will they be able to match uh, the expectations? USC in their last year 
in the Pac-12 as at six. Then we go to Penn State at seven, Florida State at eight, Clemson at nine, bringing the ACC into it with Florida State at eight and Clemson at nine, Tennessee at 10, Washington at 11, Texas at 12, right ahead of Notre Dame. Uh, TCU is on that list at 16, Kansas State at 17, Oklahoma at 19, and Texas Tech at 24, and the Aggies come in at 25, as some of your list on the preseason uh, coaches poll. Georgia overwhelmingly getting the most first-place votes with 61. Alabama gets four. Ohio State gets one. Uh, I I don't have any big problems with this. I like that 12 for Texas. It's not too much. I don't I don't necessarily want Texas to come into this list and be ranked a top 10 team to start. So 12's right in that thing where you don't have to be a top 10 team. You can earn it in your first few games. If you beat Alabama, you're, of course, going to skyrocket up that list. But at 12, if you lose to Alabama, you don't really drop either. Now, again, let's set expectations. That the Kool-Aid we have been drinking and everything we are being told is this is a team that I firmly believe – should be able to beat an Alabama team without a quarterback. We have everything we've seen would lead us to believe that Alabama is not happy with any of their quarterbacks. This Texas team should be able to put up points on Alabama. I I, I have Texas beating Alabama as of right now under the assumption that Alabama does not have a quarterback. So that being said, I have us jumping up very early in this list. Uh, very early in the season, we'll jump up this list. Uh, we'd like to point out UTSA also uh, is ranked roughly 30 if we look at 29 or 30 on uh, the other schools getting votes. So cool for UTSA to be on that list. But I will say the expectations for Texas, for Kool-Aid drinking Texas fans like myself, is that Texas needs to be a team that plays to a standard. And if Alabama does not have a quarterback, a Texas team playing to the standard that they are with a Quinn Ewers, that needs to be having the season that he can be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. And Xavier Worthy is now healthy, and we're not throwing to him with a broken hand. And you have A.D. Mitchell. You have Isaiah Newark coming back. You have Jordan Winnington coming out there as wide receivers. J.T. Sanders. This offense should be able to put up points on a very good Alabama defense. Your defense should be able to hold a quarterbackless Oklahoma, uh, Alabama team, and the reason I'm saying Oklahoma is because I'm in my head immediately I picture the belldozer, and that is something that Alabama will have. Is our the Texas D line will have to be able to stop Alabama? We're getting away ahead of ourselves though, because none of it matters if Texas cannot play to a certain level. And one of the things that has been an issue in the first few years has. Ben Sark's play calling and his game planning in the second half of games, adjusting to different defenses he was not expecting, adjusting to game plans that that are several moves ahead. And it always seems that Sark prepares for a chess match. He is ready for a chess match. His game plan, his his notes, his script, everything is for a chess match. And then he goes out with a box of checkers and goes tries to win the game. That's what it seems like every game that we've seen him play at Texas. It's been two years. He may improve. One of the things we saw with Tom Herman was Tom Herman was a good coach 
who just needed to get over that step. He had some flaws. He had a lot of really good things going for him. But he couldn't take the next step as a coach. And when people started to question him and started to question why he wasn't progressing, why he wasn't stepping up, instead of accepting that he needed to improve is when he started to fight back. So when Sark came out on his press conference recently and he admitted in a somewhat vague roundabout way that he had things that he needed to work on, that he needed to improve on in coaching, it gave me reason to pause and reason to take a little sip of Kool-Aid, but with hesitancy. Here's Sark talking about what the coaches need to do to improve for next season. You, you look at where were we not as good as we need to be, and I look at last year and I look at two years ago. It's okay. So if we're, not, if, if we're this really good game planning team and we got players buying in and preparing and going out and executing a plan for the first two, three quarters of the game, how do we get to a point to where we continue that and not have those lulls to where games are closer than maybe we would like them to be? Um, that's the first part. The second part is then how do we execute in those tight games? And I think that we made strides as a staff a year ago um, of finding a way to, to do what we're doing well that day uh, to perform and to go win. And, you know, whether it was the Baylor game, whether it was a Kansas State game, finding ways in those games to execute to, to perform. But I'm always hunting for to be better. And because ultimately, you know, change is inevitable. You either get better or you get worse in this game as a coach, as a player, whatever that is. And so we always hunt for those types of things. You know, schem schematics are schematics. I never try to sit still. I never say, hey, this is our system and we're never going to do anything different. We're always hunting for those things to do better. I'm always hunting for ways to connect with our team uh, from a cultural standpoint and developing great relationships to motivate our players. I'm always, you know, looking for ways to, to motivate the staff, to keep them engaged. Um, and, and is my messaging right? You know, when you, when you go through 12 months of looking back at your messaging, were those the right messages week to week to instill confidence in our players, but yet, but yet motivate our players to be the best that they can be? So that's, that's a constant evaluation um, for me. And, and naturally, um, I'm my hardest critic, you know. I, I know you guys think you are, uh, but but I'm I'm pretty hard on myself, um, and I'm pretty hard on myself on Sundays. You know, even after sometimes a great win, I'll look back like I could have done that different next time if this comes up, and I and I'll ask the staff, "What do you think about this decision here? What about this play call here? Would, would we do something different?" Um, because I I try to put as much in my bank right of tools to then be able to go pull from if and or when something similar comes up again. And so I, um, I, I self-evaluate a lot, and I'm, I'm very comfortable in doing that and talking about it because, hey, at the end of the day, my, I just want to be at my best for our players and, and to make sure that they have an opportunity to go achieve the things that I know they want to achieve. So there's Sark saying that he is – He's always self-evaluating. He's his own harshest critic, which if you get on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it and you get on our text line at points and uh, you listen to our post-game shows here on the Horn and you've done that, I don't believe he's necessarily always his harshest critic because I've heard some pretty terrible things said about the man. But I will say he is understanding that his game plan 
up front has been good. His scripts, now the first drive on his scripts, I don't know why, but his first drives have been pretty terrible historically. He normally, he has a lot of three and outs or maybe, you know, get one first down and then you're out pretty quick. After that, the rest of his script, so basically the first quarter into the second quarter, historically has been pretty good. He's known what to do. Now the problem lies when the defensive coordinators start to see what's happening. They start to see where it's going. And instead of sticking with the game plan that's working for Sark, he starts to try and get fancy. And the defense, he's not necessarily taking different strategical plans and different uh, thoughts of, of uh, not even different formations, really. But he's just taking different plays. And he's, he's throwing in things that may be more difficult to pull off. And he's trying to switch things up. And then he tries to throw to the deep ball over and over and over again. And he goes, all right, well, we, we've got it figured out. We can get whatever we want, so we'll just start throwing the deep ball. But the, the percentages drop. And this is where the growing as a coach has to go in coaching to win games, not coaching to pull, try and get the plays you want to work. work. It's coaching to win games. And I think too often he says, oh, no, no, I, in my head this play works and we win the game. And so we're just going to keep doing that over and over again. But if the play's not working, then you're going to lose the game. And he that, that that slip between let's keep throwing the ball deep when Quinn Ewers is hurt and he can't throw the ball well and when when Xavier Worthy's hurt. And I know in, in my head the play works. In my head the play works. It's not even that the defense is stopping the play. It's just a lower percentage play. And instead of saying, hey, let's do something that's more high percentage, like last year, let's give the ball to Bijan. Let's throw short outs to Jordan Whittington. Let's do things that we know work, and let's try and regroup, and then we can try that deep ball again. So when all so all is said and done, I appreciate the fact that Sark is trying to grow and Sark is trying to learn. But on the flip of that, I'm not sure that this team and what he's messaging is is really changing a whole lot there is a little worry for my head that he is saying, oh, I know what I need to change. I need to find a different way to make the deep ball work. I know what I need to change. I need to find a way to make the way that I coach work, as opposed to growing as a coach, as opposed to making the way I coach work and win games. I need to make the system in my head and what I dreamed the night before. I need to learn how to do that and make that a reality. I need to make what the game in my head, a reality versus making the reality better. And when we hired Jeff Banks come out this weekend, I believe, and talk about Sark's vision and what, how he sees the game and play calling, I stepped back a little bit from the Kool-Aid that I was drinking when Sark said he's his own self-evaluator and he knows what he's going to be able to do. I don't know if this, this audio makes me want to drink more Kool-Aid or less Kool-Aid. But here's Jeff Banks talking about Sark's vision. His vision, when I say vision, offensive play caller, I mean when he can see what's going to happen next before it happens, that's vision, right? So he knows they're going to this once we go to that. His, his attacking mentality to never stop, yeah, we, you know, as fans, you may say on Sunday, 
dang, I wish we wouldn't have thrown the ball deep so much, right? But as a, as, as a team, as a group getting behind a play caller, as a play caller, no one's going to attack a defense more than Sark's going to, especially vertically. And so his vision to have a feel for the defensive play caller, what he's in, what he's doing, and where he's headed with the plays and the design of the plays is unbelievable. And, again, we've all been around good good offensive coordinators, but he's the best I've been around. Um, as far as juggling everything, obviously year three is going to be better than year two. Year two is better than year one. You know, juggling it is, is, a, is a big deal. And, and in college football, I do think you get pulled more off the field even than the NFL because of recruiting. So it is going to be important that he continues to grow in that aspect of managing the job. But I think he's done. I think he's done it. So this is where Jeff Banks comes out and says, no, 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 we've got the players to do it now. Sark's ahead of all the defensive coordinators. He'll figure it out. And Sark is ahead of a lot of defensive coordinators if the plays work. Because there's plays where guys are open and you just miss a pass. And there's plays where, oh, man, we just didn't see, and we just didn't see that uh, he just took too long to make the read. But the right read was there. And if he would have made the right read, then we would have had it. Oh, man, and uh, you know what? There wasn't the right read, but it was a clear path. Quinn Ewers could have taken off, got the first down. All of those things are great in theory. What some of these other coaches in the Big 12 do, especially in the Big 12, when they don't necessarily have the top recruits, is they are able to make the best from their players and get the best from all of their players. And they're able to pull extra out of these guys. And that's where I think Sark is lacking late in these games is he keeps trying to do, hey, I know what the defense is going to do, and if we and if we just do this and we just sway over here and I can throw it 50 yards downfield and that's a touchdown. But that 50-yard pass may not be hitting that day. And you have to say, okay, we know what they're going to do. Let's find a way to chip away at the stone. Let's find a way to get little gains, get our confidence back. We can t- still take shots, but I need to get my players to make to be special. I recruited these guys. I don't need them just to be able to fit into a mold and just do what I need them to do. I need to put them in positions to win and to win games, and that's something that I haven't seen him do in the fourth quarter of games is hand a ball off, say it's not about my play calling anymore. We're going to call some pretty simple stuff because we're having trouble getting the ball downfield. We're just going to hand the ball off. We're just going to get the ball to Bijan, or we're just going to get it to Jordan Whittington. And I think there's points where he did it for a little bit, and then it just fell away again. That's the improvement I want to see. I want to see him coach his players and not always coach against the other coach to get your players to be the best player you can be. That's where I'm not 100% sold on the Jeff Banks. Oh, no, he can he can out-scheme anybody. Well, but you can't because you haven't won all these. If you're just out-scheming everybody and, and it, you have the best players and you're still not a double-digit win team, Where's the where's the disconnect? Ian Robbie talked about it this morning about some kryptonite for Sark. They talked about some things that he needs to work on to help improve what he's got planned for the future and to try and figure out a few things to be schematically ready to win some games next season that he did not win last season and to get his players ready to be able to do this. Here's E and Robbie on uh, some lessons Sark needs to learn. 
I want to go behind the burnt orange curtain here a little bit and discuss what I think schematically is a hurdle that Sark's got to overcome to become the elite coach that we all hope and we all expect him to be because we all expect him to become a championship coach this year and compete and some even say win the Big 12. So schematically, uh, one of the, the defensive kind of adaptations that we've seen as of late in the Big 12, and it actually was popularized here, and some people even said that it, it was born here and created here in the Big 12, is a three-high, three-down defense. We've heard people talk about this, three-high safety looks. It's basically all the same coverages, all the same pressures that you would run from a single high or a two-deep safety set, except it's just different presentation and different packaging. So it's just three high. And the reason it's a little bit different is because not only is it something relatively new, because I think the first time we see this three high safety look was around 2016. So you're talking about something that's less than 10 years old. So there aren't a lot of natural built in baked in beaters. You ever hear of cover one beaters, cover two beaters, cover three beaters, cover four beaters. There are natural baked in beaters to all offensive systems. And everybody knows them. You've been working through them since your high school days. Well, you don't really have those for the three high because it's relatively new. And since you don't really have those baked in, I think also it's tougher because it presents a more malleable, flexible, defensive look for the offense because you can move those chess pieces around a little bit better and a little bit more, I would say, frequently than you would with a two-high shell look. So it just makes your defense more malleable. And not that Dan Quinn uses three high looks, but he does use three safeties for a lot of the same reasons. So against that particular schematic concept, the three high safety, which, by the way, Iowa State popularized uh, in 2017, and they probably pioneered and they probably run it better than anybody else in the country with John Haycock. And they run it so well that teams from the NFL, teams from around the country, Power Five teams, Brent Venables, when he was at Clemson, teams from all the country, they come to Ames, Iowa to study that three high defense because it's a great spread neutralizer. And that's why a lot of teams came to study. And now teams in the NFL, they use a three high safety look too. As a matter of fact, when Patrick Mahomes had his one of his worst performances we've ever seen him uh, have at the NFL level in the Super Bowl versus Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, on a lot of those third downs, they were running the three high. Three high safety looks against Patrick Mahomes, a Big 12 quarterback. So anyway, getting to it, l- last season, and you can even go back to that Arkansas matchup that Sark had in 2020. Yep. Uh, that Arkansas matchup that Sark had in 2020 and Sark's offense, we know gangbusters for Alabama in 2020, one of the greatest offenses in the history of college football. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, Megan the Stallion size, but against Barry Odom's Arkansas defense, which ran to three high, one of the only teams to run in the SEC at the time and probably still are. Um, man, they held that Bama offense to only 208 yards passing, 7.2 yards per attempt. Um, when normally that team was averaging 11 and a half yards per attempt in the other games and 357 yards passing. Uh, they had only, if you go look at it, only averaged between Najee Harris and Brian Robinson, they averaged less than four yards per carry in that, on, in that game in 2020. Now, fast forward the last two years, that's the sample size I'm working with. And I'm looking at the teams that 
have minored or majored in that schematic concept and how Sark's offense have performed and what the productivity and output have been versus those those defenses. So Sark's offenses basically averaged in the last two years. You're talking about 30, 34, close to 35 points per game. But against a three-high defense, his offenses average nine fewer points per game based on my math and my analysis. If you just take Sark's offensive output or his offense's productivity versus three high defenses juxtaposed or compared to defenses that play more traditional two high and single high sets, you're talking about 15 fewer points per game. Jeez. Uh, TCU would be a great example last year. Yes. TCU. Iowa State is also another Iowa great State. example. Iowa State does a really good job of well, it as well. And, 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 and then, you know, Arkansas, you know, in that first for year. sure, I was at that game. It that was, was that, horrible. Yeah, uh, only 21 points. Well, and you know what? The key to me, I mean, I'm not the football theorist you are. The key to me is you got to run the ball. you got to be able to win the line of scrimmage in you a big can, way. And a run power run game can really take a lot of the, the schematics and the, the theory and the tactics and strategy out of it. Just and Texas did that versus Iowa State last year. Yeah. They just ran the red like, yo, just run the rock. You can run the rock, then you're right. It it eliminates a lot of the the minutiae. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I I went and looked at what if it's not just scoring, it could be other things too. I went and looked at the output in uh yards. Um, and you look at third downs, so third downs versus three high defenses, 37% conversion rate versus none three high defenses, a more traditional uh, packaging or presentation. You're talking about 44% conversion rate. Passing yards versus three high, you're at 186. Passing yards versus other defenses, you're at 265 yards per game. Passing, uh, if you look at uh, yards per attempt, you'll like this one. So Sark's offenses have averaged over seven yards per attempt 15 times in the last two years only twice has it been against a three high defense well he's going to see a lot of it and that's what you wonder yes. if he's been working on all offseason and maybe part of the paul christ hire as the, that's uh, a big the part analyst of it too. to say yeah we got to be able to line up they're going to go three high safeties um we have to be able to line up and hit them in the mouth and run the football and i think that's also you're going to see that 6-0 line package that also can be an answer to package. just go power football against that three high defense and the reason schematically that it matches up well with Sark schematically is because the three high defense basically it it gives the it distorts the pre-snap read for the quarterback because he has no idea what that third safety really is going to be and based on based on where that safety lines up that could and especially if it's an RPO where you're you're counting the numbers in the box if you have the numbers advantage you hand it off if you don't have the numbers advantage you're going to pick it, pick it up and throw it in the RPO situation if they distort the box count and you miscount or have an inaccurate count then you may just hand the ball off into a which, numbers disadvantage, which they did against TCU over yes. and over again last exactly. year. Exactly, because you're just because you, you, <laughs> you can't you cannot accurately get the count because you don't know exactly how they're going to move around those those chess pieces and those defenders. That's why it matches up really well with Sark's offense. And Sark describes his offense as an RPO based passing game, so he wants to run more and more RPOs, which means more and more pre-snap diagnosis that has to be precise and accurate, and that three height will distort that for the quarterback. There's some Sark's kryptonite there from Ian Rod B. Mornings here on the Horn, 6 to 11 a.m. Uh, this is uh, one of our texters brings up short game, quick game, 
pass the ball to the wide receivers, five to seven yard passing. It is a part that Sark does not do, especially late in games. I get it. We may not have the running backs again this year. Uh, a lot of young guys. We do, you don't have Bijan. I agree with you. Throw the ball easy. I can understand uh, trepidation of not wanting to do that with a quarterback who you're not sure has the experience yet to be able to completely find the windows he needs to find in the amount of time. Short game seems like it's easy. It can be very tough because it, it is extremely timed and you have to be able to see what's happening and make sure and make split-second decisions. But this is now we're in the year that if Quinn Ewers cannot do that now, then you're going to have to start moving on. Now, I don't know if Blake Murphy can do that either. He's another deep ball thrower with a cannon for an arm. But if Quinn Ewers cannot do that, that's a pretty big hole in a quarterback's game. So you're going to have to figure out a way to make that short game a little bit better. And when you have a guy like Jordan Whittington who is amazing at it, and Xavier Worthy, he was used as a deep threat last year because Isaiah Nuero's injury, and they didn't feel they had a deep threat. They tried to run some other guys out there, but they weren't able to catch the ball at the level they wanted him to. Xavier Worthy's really good at running short routes and getting open and, and makes that window a little bit wider for a guy like Quinn Ewers to you know, get another foot of separation, which means the window stays open for another half second, second, which lets you get the ball to him and, and you can pick up the first down. I completely agree. It's not easy to do. It seems like it's a real easy thing to do, but it should be much easier for Sark to call. Uh, also another good texter. Uh, good OC will take what the defense is giving him, uh, and Sark doesn't do that. He just keeps running his stuff. That's what I'm going to talk about is – you know, you find what it is, you know what the defense is, and you know ways you can beat the defense, but there's if they're putting everything to stop your deep pass and you're still not going underneath and you you've you've changed the defense so that they're going out there and double covering Xavier Worthy, and then you're still trying to force it in there, that's not good calling, even if it works, it's not good play calling. And yeah, if Quinn can't do it, give me Malik. I don't know if Malik Murphy can do it either. Uh, Malik Murphy hasn't played a college game yet, so I don't know if he's ready to do it at that speed. I don't know if Arch Manning's ready to do it at that speed. But if Quinn Ewers can't do it, I would rather move on and see if someone else can do it. I agree with you. I, I don't know if any of them can because we just haven't done it. Texas hasn't made those play calls, so I couldn't tell you if he can do it or not. A couple other notes real quick. Five-star D lineman Dominic McKinley sets his commitment date. Uh, it's going to be September 1st uh, when he puts that out. Uh, he's uh, the number one prospect from Louisiana. Uh, Texas is on his list along with LSU. Uh, also, Colin Simmons is going to be announcing this week uh, he is a uh, five-star edge rusher. Uh, that uh, so A lot of people have crystal ball going to Texas, but I believe the Aggies are on that list. LSU is on that list as well. So we'll keep up to date with those uh, commitments coming up in the future. When we come back, we've got some sound from Texans training camp from D'Amico Ryans. Little notes on the Cowboys. Uh, Kareem Hunt. Going to be visiting the Saints. Little news on that uh, and a little bit more coming up here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. The Sports Complex, afternoons 5 to 7. Hell yeah! On the Horn. Back on the Sports Complex here on the Horn. 
Our week's theme this week, best debut singles in music history, and there is Run DMC. It's like that. This is this is really old school hip hop. Very old school hip hop where you can feel the beginning of where it's just it's just pure pure hip hop. I, I like I'll still listen to this over mumble rap. I, I you know what? I, I'm still this is why I'm I'm too old school for for being at any clubs these days, just because I will still listen to, to old run DMC more than I will listen to uh pretty much all of the things that are played now. I, I just it's not for me. But what is for me is our uh, our listeners here on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Uh, we've got our list of the greatest sports debuts on a big fat poll of the day. What is the greatest sports debut of all time? Another entry, Paolo Bancaro goes 27-9-9 and last year in his debut. That You know, on the last year debut, he is probably on that list for the 2023-2022 list of uh, – Best debuts, Paolo Bancaro may be number one on that list. I, I don't know if that beats the uh, Will Chamberlain line. The uh, Will Chamberlain, 43 points and 28 rebounds. I don't know if anyone's ever going to have that. I mean, look, we all know Victor Wembanyama is going to have that line. Let's stop. We know Victor Wembanyama. That'll be the new list. I forgot I have to be a homer. <laughs> I forgot the gimmick. Yeah, Victor Wembanyama will uh, 50 points, 35 rebounds. That's that's a low end. You put that in your fantasy lineups. There's no way that can't happen. <laughs> the list, if you have one, send our specs text line for the greatest debut in sports history, 512-337-3776. And then check out our social media. We'll put up a few other uh, people's best choices. We will then uh, get you to vote on that, and we'll tell you tomorrow who it is. And we'll have a new big fat poll for you tomorrow. Let's go over to Houston and some Texas training camp news. NFL Network was in Houston today, so we have some audio from D'Amico Ryans uh, talking about his team. Of course, the big news is that C.J. Stroud will be the starting quarterback come uh, Thursday when they play the Patriots. And uh, here is D'Amico Ryans on his quarterbacks. What are you seeing with the quarterback battle right now, and where have you seen the maturation of C.J. Stroud? It's been a fun process uh, with with both our guys, with CJ and Davis. I've seen both guys improve at each practice. Uh, Davis is playing better. CJ continues to improve each day. We put these guys in a lot of situational football to see how can they handle it, and they both, right? There are some uh, growing pains on both things to learn from, but that's what ball is about. That's what practicing is about, being in difficult situations, learning from it, and improving. And the next time you're out, right, showing your team that you're the guy to take the helm and it's been uh it's been fun to watch both guys made plays big plays down the field and our offenses they're coming together really well and i'm excited with where they are james said competition but it's four straight days cj's taking the first team reps (laughs) he's the number two overall pick is this competition over at this point is he the guy yeah we're still working through it we're still working through that and we'll see once that once we land line up, you know, on Sunday in uh, regular season versus the what about Ravens, 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 CJ will go out first versus the Ravens, and well, I mean versus the uh, Patriots, Patriots, he'll go out. That's there a first. Freudian slip right and there. Then, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Got him finally. <laughs> but we'll go out there first. But guys, everybody will get reps, and we'll, we'll come back. We'll watch it and see where guys are. There you go. Yeah, the Freudian slip there at the end. That's Tom Pelissero and Jane Slater with NFL Network talking to Demi Ryan's at camp today. Uh, C.J. Stroud will get to start Thursday. 
look, we know he's got the he's got the he's worked with the first team. This is you need to start putting him in the lineup. If he's showing he can do it, we know Davis Mills could have a decent career as a backup quarterback. If you try to put him out there for this Houston Texans fan base who has been dealt nothing but crap for the last three seasons, and you say, ah, you know what? Guys, we're just gonna have to wait on it again. We don't have our own first round pick. You got Cleveland's, but it doesn't matter. You can suck all day long. It doesn't change Cleveland's first round draft position. So it doesn't matter where what pick you're gonna get from them. I think you have to put CJ Stroud out there because at least if it not if you're not winning, but you have a quarterback who you're trying to progress and get moments. We just talked about it with Quinn Ewers about trying to throw passes over the middle, and it just takes time to get used to that and get used to your receivers. For CJ Stroud, he needs to get used to these receivers. He needs to find his guys. And one of the questions they asked uh, D'Amico Ryans at camp today was about the wide receivers because it is a big question and concern for a lot of Texans fans. You brought in Robert Woods. You draft Tank Dell. You have uh, Michi who's coming back from uh, his battle with leukemia. But you don't have a lot of proven commodities at the wide receiver position. Uh, they just dropped Amari Rodgers this weekend, who was somebody who played some good minutes for him last year. Nico Collins, I believe, is still there. So you, there is some guys to go around, uh, but we'll see in this uh, quote right here or this uh, clip here from D'Amico Ryans talking about the wide receivers uh, with Tom Pelissero and Jane Slater on NFL Network. Who's been really standing out in the wide receiver room? Four of those guys under the age of 25, but you did bring in a guy like Robert Woods. How is that ha- helping guys like Tank Dell? Yeah, Robert has been a great addition. He's been very consistent each and every day in the, into his approach, and it's great for young guys to see how a true pro right approaches the game, approaches his craft each and every day. Rob has been excellent in that regard. And the two, I mean, you got a couple young guys that are playing well. See, Nico Collins, he makes a lot of big plays for us out here. And also Tank Dell. Tank Dell has been uh, open a lot, so it's, <laughs> it's fun to see. That gives me a, a good feeling. Tank Dell has been open a lot. So uh, I enjoy hearing that. Uh, it is. It's going to be the question of who is your number one because I don't know if Robert Woods is, your, is a number one receiver. And if they put him at number one, whoever that, unless you're playing a bad defensive team, I don't know how he's getting open. I think a Tank Dell or a Machi or somebody who's younger maybe have a better chance of getting open. Robert Woods can run the routes, but if you're C.J. Stroud, if, if, if you are guarding Robert Woods like he's your number one, it doesn't make sense that he is going to be. It doesn't make sense that he's going to get a lot of receptions this year. So I think you want to try and put someone a little bit younger over there. Tank Dell is a smaller guy, so it probably doesn't make him there. Uh, I guess Nico Collins is probably going to have to start off your season at number one. Uh, but no matter who it is, you still need that safety blanket. It was a great move for the Texans to bring in a guy like Dalton Schultz. I know Cowboys fans don't like hearing that, but it was a great move. You need to have that safety blanket for a. Rookie quarterback, and here's what D'Amico Ryans had to say today about Dalton Schultz. Obviously, you had George Kittle in the offense in, in uh, San Francisco. How do you envision Dalton Schultz's role here? Yeah, Dalton has been he's been very right consistent, right? Quarterback, I said he's the quarterback's best friend out here right now. You watch our offense, they know Dalton will get them a completion. So Dalton has been uh, very consistent, great hands, uh, great preparation. Uh, love the way you know he works each and every day. So happy to really add him on our team. He's been uh, been really uh, a great addition for us, right? Offense, and you got young quarterbacks, and who can you get the ball to? Who can you count on? You can count on Dalton. Oh, the Cowboys fans, does that make you feel bad? <laughs> Who can you count on? I know Dak Prescott counted on him. So C.J. Stroud is a big addition to get uh, Dalton Schultz for the Texans. I think that is, if you can keep him healthy, that is going to be a 
massive coup for the a massive haul for the the Texans to be able to get a guy that is that really gives you the safety blanket tight end. That's what he was for the Cowboys for Dak Prescott. That's what you really want to have. And now maybe in two years you want to move off of that and want to kind of take away a safety blanket. Maybe you want to have him try and throw the ball downfield more. If, if you're the Cowboys, that may be part of the reasons you didn't want to pay Dak, uh, Dalton Schultz that money. I don't think that's the reason they didn't want to keep him, but you may want to separate him, Dak from his safety blanket a little bit to try and get the ball downfield more. You get a Brandon Cooks, you have uh, uh, CeeDee Lamb as well. So you can have some guys throw downfield too. The Texans don't have that right now, so you have to have a Dalton Schultz. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's also talked about the defense. That is going to be a big worry. Uh, is is this defense going to be able to learn the new system? Basically, Levy Smith plays a pretty simple defense, and it worked because you had a bunch of you know, mercenaries. You had a bunch of one-year contract guys in there. You don't want to try and teach them this elaborate defense, and they're not going to really want to learn it if they're not going to be part of long-term plans. D'Amico Ryan's has brought in some veterans, has brought in guys to really try and bring this defense up to, to – to a new level, and we will see early in the season if these guys are going to be able to figure it out or if this is going to be a longer project. I will say have patience because the Patriots are notorious, and Bill Belichick is notorious for overloading his team with a lot of technical and and strategic different plans early in the season, and their defense doesn't look great early. And when it matters down the end, now the Texans probably not going to be in a playoff run, but when it matters down the end of the season, Patriots' defenses are historically one of the best defenses. So you do need to have some patience if you're a Texans fan for the defense to allow a little bit of time for these guys to get used to learning a much more complicated system with D'Amico Ryan. Some notes from the Cowboys training camp. Uh, Tristan Visciano got cut. Brandon Aubrey is a lone kicker. I don't think either one of them is going to be on the roster come opening day. Uh, I don't know how many more years Jerry Jones has to go through this facade of, hey, no, we don't ha- we don't need to hire a kicker. We don't need to pay money for a kicker. We need that money to pay Micah Parsons. We need that money to pay. <laughs> we don't need a- we don't need that money. Zach Martin, I can't pay you. I got to find you so I can get me a kicker. I I don't know how long you got to do that until you realize just get a decent kicker. You're gonna miss the playoffs. You're gonna lose a big game because you're going to lose a game in the playoffs. You're going to lose a game during the regular season. You're going to hurt your seating because you don't have a kicker. We've seen it happen in the past. I don't get why Jerry Jones won't just realize it's time to do it. And if you got to draft one, trade trade away a future trade away a 7th rounder this year for a 6th rounder next year and, and go get yourself a, a kicker in the 6th round. Go go do something. Because whatever you're doing, a kicker does not work. Luke, uh, Luke Schoonmaker, the tight end they did draft this year, is cleared for his first practice today. I don't know if he got on the field today, but he was cleared today. Uh, so that is very good news because uh, we just talked about Dalton Schultz leaving. Uh, that is very good news to get him there. And uh, finally, uh, rumors are Ezekiel Elliott is being pursued by the da- the New York Jets, the New England Patriots, the Dallas Cowboys. Still in the hunt for Zeke, guys. You can't get rid of him, Dallas fans. Uh, other news today, Kareem Hunt is visiting with the Saints. I love this for the Saints. Make it happen. Uh, we get a three-game suspension for Alvin Kamara. This team needs a little bit more electricity in it. I think Kareem Hunt is a guy to give you some moves and give you something else to kind of keep this this offense going. And honestly, Alvin Kamara, you can run Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara because you can split out either one of those guys as a slot receiver and they can go out there and catch the ball. I think this is a... 
is a no-brainer as long as he doesn't want a ton of movie, a uh, ton of money. I, I'm I'm fine with. I, I think that's a great move for the Saints. That's a division that's winnable this year. If you're the Saints, go win that division. Dennis Allen will get to keep his job for winning that division, and you're gonna make Sean Payton look bad. All the things the Saints need to do. When we come back, we will wrap up the show. We will say thank you, and we will move on to another day here on the Sports Complex. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on The Horn. Last call. So either hook up now or go home and take care of yourselves. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Bring a pitcher of beer every seven minutes till somebody passes out. And then bring one every 10 minutes. I'm very drunk, and I intend getting still drunker before the evening's over. Time for last call here on the Sports Complex. Thanks to everybody who texted in today and played with us today. 512-337-3776 is our text number. We appreciate it. We'll put up the poll here uh, very soon for the big fat poll of the day. What is the greatest sports debut of all time? We appreciate everybody who uh, chimed in on that as well. Uh, we uh, do have some suggestions for you, though. For last call on the show every week, we'll give you some ideas of things to go check out around town. Uh, if you want to suggest any of that, hit me up on Twitter at It's Patrick Davis or It's X Now or on Instagram is too. Everything you can find me on is it's at It's Patrick Davis. So check it out there, and uh, we'll give out some suggestions of things to go check out on the show every day. If you want to go out and uh, you know get a wild hair, you want to go check out the show, or we'll give you some solutions of stuff, suggestions of stuff you can watch from your very own couch. If you're like me and you're getting older and you decide that uh, going out every night is not the best idea on a radio salary, you can do that as well. Uh, But a couple concerts you can go check out tonight uh, every year, every week. Uh, Lonely Land, it's Bob Schneider and Lonely Land play at Saxon Pub. Uh, Always a winner there. And uh, Brian Scartochi, if you've never heard of Brian Scartochi, he was on The Voice, is an amazing singer, does like old soul music. It is, it's amazing. He plays at the White Horse on Monday. Something for you to check out there as well. Uh, if you want to check out a game tonight, the Rangers are playing the A's, kicking off that series at 8.40 pregame right here on the Horn is at 8 o'clock. So you can check it out right here or watch that one on TV. I prefer you check it out here, though. We love the ratings. And uh, also, USA Basketball. Man, it's been too long since I watched a basketball game. It's been almost a month, and I couldn't stand it anymore. Tonight at 9 o'clock on FS1, USA versus Puerto Rico from Vegas. You get to watch the team with uh, such great players as Paolo Bancaro and Mikhail Bridges and Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cam Johnson made this team, Walker Kessler, Bobby Portis is on your team, USA, Austin Reeves. Coached by Steve Kerr, Eric Spolster, Ty Lu, Mark Few, all on this team. This is getting ready for the FIBA World Cup that begins at the very end of the month. This is all the warm-up games. I believe there's five warm-up games to get you ready for the FIFA World Cup. This is game one uh, of all of those games. Uh, so they'll be playing Puerto Rico tonight. Uh, if you want to see some basketball, if you want to see how this team looks, to see who's going to be the star, because this is one of those things. Uh, uh, we know when you get to the Olympics, you get a couple more better players, and you normally know who the star is going to Or you're like, all right, these are like the three best players they are going to be the star, and then Carmelo Anthony would come out and be the best player in Olympic basketball. And you go, why don't you always play like that, Carmelo? Why won't you try and rebound the ball in the NBA? Only in the Olympics you try. 
But you will normally find those guys, I, I don't know on this lineup who it's going to be. You've got some really good defenders, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Walker Kessler. Especially if you do, you take feeble rules and they can goaltend, can play very well. Paolo Bancaro, could this be his coming out party? Could he be the guy in his second year in the league? Anthony Edwards, could be his coming out party. A lot of fun to watch. Uh, I will definitely be checking that out tonight if I don't get out. I also may go to a rehearsal tonight. Uh, we're getting ready for OB Fest. If anyone wants to check that out, we're celebrating the, the life of MC Overlord. Uh, that's happening this Sunday at the Railhouse in Kyle from 4 to 10 p.m. Uh, if you want to come out and join us out there, uh, the info is up on all my social media at It's Patrick Davis. Uh, but they're rehearsing for that for a big jam, so I might go show my face over there and get told I don't know as much about music as I think I do. Uh, that tend to be what happened. But I'll bring some beer so that they'll be nice to me, and we can do that. Uh, I do want to thank everybody uh, for the kind words today, for the past week, for getting the show. We are through one episode. We have made it. We are, uh, we are still standing now, I say we, it's me, and maybe one other person in this booth who's helping us out on YouTube. <laughs> Thanks to Jacob Standard for helping us out uh, on the YouTube stream, the Twitch stream, uh, keeping us going. For everybody here at the station who helps out, uh, a lot of fun today. Be a lot of fun tomorrow. Uh, hope you join us. Hope you continue to join us on the Specs text line. Hope you continue to be a part of us as we grow. So until tomorrow, everyone out there, keep your underwear clean. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Sports Complex.